0: Hi, this is Mary Guzman, CEO and founder of Crown Jewel Insurance, and we're here for episode three in our series called Cover Your Assets. I'm joined again by my friend Mark Halligan with Fisher-Broyles, and today we're going to get into some detail about the Defend Trade Secrets Act and other state and federal protections for trade secret enforcement. Thanks for listening.
1: Uh, thank you for the invitation. Can you share with us um, kind of the game changer of late that was, there, or that is really, the Defend Trade Secret Act that passed in 2016 and why that has made it essentially so much easier and more reasonably um, attainable for organizations to enforce their trade secret rights than it was before the DTSA and also as one of the um, sort of informed people um, who helped develop sort of the language in the DTSA, Mark. Um, I'm hoping that you can share with us um, what the RICO statute specifically does for um, the protection of trade secret assets.
2: Well, starting uh, with the Defend Trade Secrets Act of 2016, that, that statute dates back to a 2008 law review article that I wrote for the um, Review of Intellectual Property Law at John Marshall Law School in Chicago. At that time, I recommended two critical amendments to the Economic Espionage Act of 1996. One was to add a private civil cause of action because it was a criminal statute just left just to, uh, to the Justice Department. I said the victims have to have access to the courts and the victims are corporations and of course the owners of trade secrets. And second, we need provisions for an ex-party seizure order, because as early as 2008 when I filed these lawsuits or involved in these lawsuits, as soon as the defendants became aware of the lawsuit, they immediately took steps to transfer the trade secrets uh, outside the United States and then to destroy their computers inside the United States. So those two critical amendments, it was picked up by Wisconsin Senator Cole's office and his legislative staff, and then over the next three Congresses, Various versions of a bill to do those things were debated, and eventually it was passed in uh, 2016 with those two provisions, the private civil cause of action and ex-party seizure order provisions. And I'll come back to RICO in a moment. And uh, so now you have the tools for federal jurisdiction. Um, You have the Uniform Trade Secrets Act which is the state statute, you, and now you have to defend trade Secrets Act, which is the federal statute. The federal statute has these ex-party seizure provisions. So to allow you to file the complaint uh, and then uh, serve uh, a subpoena or secure the, uh, these, the computers and other uh, uh, indicia of trade secret theft, uh, thumb drives and everything else, to do that under an ex-party seizure order, so the defendants do not have an opportunity to transfer those trade secrets outside the United States or otherwise take steps to destroy the
1: evidence. Um, so Mark, just to have- clarify, that ex parte seizure order is taken uh, before you file an initial claim and the, and po- It really has two purposes. One is to stop the bleeding before it gets really ugly and to try to contain the theft or misappropriation to one or two people. But two, as importantly, it's to take action uh, before the client is on to you, or excuse me, before the perpetrator is essentially on to you and does something else else with that information. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, basically it's a complaint under seal and then an ex-party secret proceeding to get uh, the, uh, the court orders to seize the evidence. But the, 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 the key here is an element of surprise, just like you have at the flea markets, right? For, for uh, uh, you know, topping of uh, trademark violations and, and uh, you need to have that element of surprise.
1: Got it, okay. And then if you can come back to the RICO part of it, because I think that's critical for people to understand.
2: So um, th- this is probably one of the biggest benefits of the Defend Trade Secrets Act of 2016 from, from the trade secret owners perspective that um, I, I think most of the pundits out there have missed. Uh, the Defend Trade Secrets Act was dropped into the Economic Espionage Act in 1996. Together it creates extraterritorial jurisdiction. and. Uh, adds all sorts of acts of misappropriation. There's a section 1831, which is foreign economic espionage, and section 1832, which is domestic trade secret theft. And in each of those sections, there's 25 acts de- uh, that describe trade secret misappropriation and 25 attempts to commit those acts, and 25 conspiracies to commit those acts. So you have 75 wrongful acts under 1831, another 75 under 1832. And they, they are now, those two sections have now been registered uh, as predicate offenses for purposes of RICO. RICO is the Racketeer Influenced Influence Corrupt Organizations Act that was passed back in 1970, but which has stood the test of time. We're at, you know, it's 30, 20, 50 years now. Uh, a lot of lawyers that have been around for a while, RICO started off kind of on the wrong foot because everybody was filing RICO actions even though they didn't have the elements of the cause of action, and the courts kind of struck back and kind of narrowed the scope of RICO. But that's all behind us. What it is, it's enterprise liability. It creates a enterprise liability so that you can bring into the lawsuit, you know, the Godfather. The, those behind the scenes that are managing and orchestrating the crimes that are being committed, in this case, trade secret misappropriation. But what it does is, is it expands third-party liability for trade secret theft. Again, the Uniform Trade Secrets Act and the Defense Trade Secrets Act, which is modeled after the Uniform Trade Secrets Act, third-party liability is limited to just those who receive trade secrets under circumstances where they know or have reason to know uh, that These are trade secrets of someone else. In other words, you have liability against the direct infringers, those with blood on their hands, and a limited class of third parties who receive the trade secret under circumstances, as I said, you know, sort of like receiving stolen property. Right. But but RICO opens up third party liability uh, against all the uh, co-conspirators. The front companies that are created in the United States to steal trade secrets, the the, the employees who report to their foreign governments, the, the, um, all of the entities in the entire chain of trade secret theft, which is very sophisticated, now under RICO, that's a pattern of racketeering activity. And you bring all those events and players together, and you can sue in the U.S. District Courts, and their special venue provisions and, and special jurisdictional provisions. So that if you can get a a jurisdiction over one or two of the co-conspirators, you can then bring the whole, the rest of the group into the lawsuit. And again, a recall cause of action could go all the way up, all the way up to the level of a government. In fact, there are defined terms in the Economic Espionage Act, you know, for, for, uh, uh, foreign agents and foreign instrumentalities. And, and this, this is now going to allow us to attack the major cases uh, involving the theft of uh, critical U.S. trade secrets. Uh, but it's going to emanate from a RICO cause of action, which again, I've written a couple of articles on this and a webinar or two I've provided, but I don't think we, it's appreciated yet the scope of third party liability and the expansion of third party liability now that sections 1831 and 1832 have been scheduled as a RICO predicate acts.
1: That's awesome. That's kind of a drop the mic moment um, in terms of enforcement that wasn't there before. Uh, But I also think something that maybe people don't focus on, at least in a lot of the research I've done and discussions that I've had and leading up to this moment, is that you can potentially seek treble damages and achieve treble damages as a result of having this RICO statute built in. So, you know, not only are you getting the potential You know, value of the trade secret and the the lost opportunity of um, the use and sale of that trade secret and the cost that you expended in developing your trade secret, and the unjust enrichment of the company who stole it. But you can add on top of those sort of compensatory or statutory type damages, um, punitive damages, if you will. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. And in fact. that, that was the attraction of RICO when it, they created this new type of crime, an enterprise uh, liability type crime, was that everyone rushed because they saw that you could get trouble damages. And there, it's not discretionary. The plaintiff shall get three times the damages and attorney's fees and costs, whereas under the Uniform Trade Secrets Act and now the Defend Trade Secrets Act, you can get trouble damages for the willful malicious the willful misappropriation of trade secrets, but there is, it is subject to court approval. But you don't have that with RICO. You, there's no discretion. It's, that is your remedy, uh, trouble damages. However, I must say that in, in most trade secret cases, the court relies on the jury findings. And, and if it was willful mis- misappropriation, um, you also get trouble damages under the UTSA and the Defend Trade Secrets Act. And um,
1: Even in absence of a RICO finding, is that right? That's correct,
2: and and it's important that you understand how the the law developed on that, because the statute says
1: you're entitled to compensatory
2: damages, so that's X. And then there's a section that says that, but if there's willful malicious, malicious misappropriation, if it's willful and malicious misappropriation, you get two times X. So what the courts do is X plus 2X, and that turns out to be 3X trouble damages. So you know substantial damages can flow both from the uniform trade secrets act or the, and or the defense trade secrets act um,
1: the- and i uh, and i think that kind of bring, brings us back full circle to really the importance of what you and i are doing together with some of the other you know partners in our consortium here which is none of this happens if you don't have the appropriate trade secret asset risk management program and process in place and it's my experience um just in talking to my clients as my 25 plus years as a broker that most organizations don't even value their trade secrets they don't put a valuation on their trade secrets internally um, much less do everything else that a normal you know quote unquote risk management process requires without you know identifying valuing mitigating and then potentially transferring risk, you know, those are sort of the basics of a risk management program. And and without that identification and valuation phase, you can't do anything else, really. And so, um, you know, I think it's all get the fundamentals right. And then, you know, you've got really got a great avenue to protect yourself now. And it also brings me back to something that you mentioned in passing earlier in the conversation, which is that you and Rich Wayand um, together have developed a trade secret platform um, that called Trade Secret Examiner that's something that we will be utilizing with our clients throughout this process that I think is a game changer in terms of its ability to index and track using blockchain technology um, sort of the various iterations of any given trade secret asset that is, you know, starting with the crown jewels of an organization and working your way down to the less valuable trade secrets, um, something that, you know, will help people get much further faster um, than the way things have traditionally been done, which is, you know, starting backwards and looking to try to audit whether or not you had appropriate trade secret protection and whether or not you labeled things protected you know properly and all of those things after a trade secret has already gone missing which you know is like trying to put out the fire and then ask for insurance afterwards
2: correct and i as you know i've written an article for the American Bar Association landslide magazine entitled the next revolution in intellectual property law
1: automated which is posted trade- on our
2: website automated trade secret asset management which i think gives a uh, it provides everyone with a Pretty solid foundation. I mean, I wake up every day and I ask myself, why? Why? Why is 80% of the assets of new economy companies intangible assets, most of those assets being trade secret assets, and yet there's no accounting system, there's no trade secret control committee, there's no internal uh, organization uh, uh, or any sort of organized effort internally uh, to identify and classify these assets. Uh,
1: Right. Absolutely. and I, and I actually just wrote an article about that thing, trying to answer the question "Why?" from my own perspective, with a risk management, you know, brokerage hat on, which is what I did for many years. Um, and that's also on our website. So I think um, just given given the time and the fact that we have so many other things to get to on different podcasts, that might close it out for us today.
0: Thank you so much, Mark. For our next in the series, I hope you're able to listen to our discussion around Crown Jewel Insurance, which is a game-changing insurance product, the first of its kind in the industry. I'm super excited about that. It's my personal passion project. And uh, we look forward to sharing with you the details of what all is involved in that and how the coverage works. <clears throat> in the meantime, follow us on social media. On our website at www. TradeSecretInsurance.com or at Crown Jewel Insurance on YouTube for a full-length webinar and some other interesting videos. Thank you so much.